This is Inside the Writer's Head with Jessica Strasser, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2019 Writer in Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer in Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here now is Jessica Strasser. Hey everyone, this is your writer in residence, Jessica Strasser. For this month's episode, we have something completely different, and I'm really excited about our guest today. I'm here with Cincinnati's own stand-up comedy headliner, Gabe Kia. Gabe first started performing in St. Louis after spending his youth living in both the United States and Canada, where his father was a hockey player. He eventually relocated here, lucky for all of us, where he won the Funniest Person in Cincinnati contest. He has made several appearances on the nationally syndicated Bob and Tom show, and among his other claims to fame has opened for Joel McHale at Gilda's Laugh Fest. Gabe is a regular at both Go Bananas Comedy in Montgomery and The Funny Bone in Liberty Township. You can catch him pretty much every summer downtown at the Cincy Brouhaha Festival, but he is often on the road as well, featured at various comedy festivals, Limestone in Bloomington, Indiana, Laughing Skull in Atlanta, and The Flyover in St. Louis. If you've ever seen him perform, you'll recognize him as an enthusiastic, energetic entertainer and a great storyteller, which is a part of why he's here today. Gabe, thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me and letting me hear my bio right in front of me. I'm like, oh, this needs a little punching up. Okay. Uh, This is a first in a few ways. In the five years the library has been producing this podcast, I think you're the first comedian. Wow, that's good. Glad to be the first. Pretty sure you're the first Canadian. Wow. Oh, that's more surprising than comedian. Yeah, so you're representing. Representing Canada and comedy. That's that's a tough. (laughs) It's tough. And this is the first episode I've recorded uh, having the guest with me in my home office. All right. So usually... Live recording. Yes. Usually I'm in the sound booth in the makerspace at the main library or talking to someone remotely. But since you and I live in the same part of town, this was the most convenient. So it feels very grassroots, surrounded by all of my chaos all your chaos there's no chaos everything is very organized in her office don't let you uh, Uh, let her her lead you to believe that it's chaos yeah please don't tell anyone how unglamorous my office is um even though i sort of just did so full disclosure gabe and i know each other socially a bit and i invited him here because we often stumble on interesting parallels in what we do whether it's common ground in the creative aspects of generating new material or the career aspects of putting yourself out there in a pretty vulnerable way um so i have quite a few people who come to my monthly office hours who are pursuing humor writing Mm-hmm. And I've attended learning events such as the Irma Bombeck Writers Conference at the University of Dayton um, that very purposefully blend humor and oral delivery with lessons on what we write. So the way I've come to see it, you know, all comedians are writers, whether they actually write the words down or not. They do things that all good writers do from studying human nature to telling a story that elicits a certain reaction, hopefully from the audience. And I'm a big believer in finding lessons from other disciplines that we can apply to our own creative work 
So that's kind of a long-winded frame to bring everyone listening up to speed on what we're going to get into today. Good. Sounds good. So could you start by telling us what drew you to comedy and how you got into it? I I went to a comedy club probably in my early 20s for my first time. Kind of just watched comedy on TV in that format. So I, I really hadn't grown up going and watching live comedy, like seeing kind of my comedy heroes. I would see them on TV. I would never go to like concerts when I was younger. And when I was of age to go to a comedy club, I think probably a little bit later because I was a little nervous about going because I knew I wanted not only to like watch, but I wanted to do it. And I just, I just knew, uh, I think maybe, maybe being in class in college, talking in front of the class and feeling comfortable in that aspect of, uh, of public speaking. I probably like that maybe drew me to it as well. So I wouldn't say, say, I wouldn't say I was a class clown or anything like that. Like, I don't think, uh, I maybe got in trouble a little bit and I talked in class probably more than the average than your average student, but I wasn't, uh, I didn't stick out as like someone always trying to get a laugh or something. Yeah. But, but I think that's probably what drew, drew me to it was, uh, was my experience in college and feeling comfortable in front of speaking in front of people. And then I went and watched it. And I think that's the first time I realized the comedians do the same material over and over again yeah. because I, yeah, I watched a show and then I, wa- I, I was like, I want to watch this again. And I came back and watched the same performers and they were doing the same material. And that kind of just like blew my mind. I, I'd never, I was like, no, wow. I never thought that they, <laughs> I thought they came up with it right, right there. Right off the top of their head. <laughs> so, it seems so natural. Yeah. They're good at it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, uh, and that's something that as you, as you, as comedians grow and progress, they tend to, I think it works best if you're traveling from city to city and you have different audiences. When you get stuck in the same city, uh, it does push you more to, to produce more new material. But it also, uh, I think the, the true stand-up act is best when it's shared with a different audience, if that makes sense. Yeah, people who don't really know what to expect where you're going and what you've been working on and you kind of, yeah, you work on it. It's a piecemeal as you go, you're kind of adding and taking away, but trying to get to uh, a certain point with, with any joke in particular, I'd say. Yeah. I know what you mean because when I first moved, well, when I first came to Cincinnati, I was an intern at Writer's Digest magazine for a summer. Mm -hmm. And I was going into my senior year, but I was really young for my grade. So I was not 21. And one of the few things that I could do was go to college night at Go Bananas. Do they still have that? Yeah. yeah, It used to be like student ID was like a couple bucks. Yes. Yeah. Probably like five bucks to get in or maybe even less. Yeah. And you don't have to be 21. You can be 18. And, um, so I, I think we went almost every week. We were like little go bananas groupies. I mean, this was yes. so long ago, but we often the opener or the 
what's the middle person called the feature act, the feature would, act be the, yeah, the, would be the same people. So sometimes we would see like the same, same jokes. couple of people yeah. over and over again. And yeah, I remember sort of the same thing, getting that sense of, Oh, okay. Like there. And sometimes you could see how the material would change a little bit, yeah. they'd throw in something new and they'd be trying out. It was kind of cool. I've always really loved stand up comedy. I never really thought about why I was drawn to it. Um, in any kind of academic way. But now I totally am like, there are so many parallels between what, what comedians do and what writers do. But at the time I was just like, I like it. Of course I like it. It's funny. But I, unlike you, that's like my worst nightmare to have to get up there and actually do it. Yeah. It's funny because I remember early on thinking like, I want to, I want to do this. And now that, now that I've done it and I, why I'm, I'm hanging out around comedy clubs a lot. I'm watching a lot of stand-up comedy, even though I've seen, I've been around it, I've been inundated with it. I still enjoy sitting down and watching the show. I do feel like it's important to kind of watch the show from start to finish. So sometimes I'll show up, maybe I'll get off work and I'll stop by the comedy club to say hi to somebody. I don't even really like watching the show, like going in midway to the show because there's, there's there's like a build up to it like the the first guy sets up the show the second person you know it's it's a good flow of having different voices and different perspectives different uh backgrounds coming coming together and making the whole show and uh and sometimes there's a thread a comedic thread too that will go through the whole thing where they're calling back to earlier yeah. jokes. Oh yeah, and, and that's very effective. And that and then it's not effective if you're someone that just walked in. Or, <laughs> yeah. I think there was someone that I came in to see. I, it was a few a uh, few months ago, and I I walked in and I watched his set, and he was like talking to people in the audience. He kind of had them reading off of note cards, and I just kind of like I remember I kind of turned my nose up at it, and I was like, ah, that's. that seems silly or maybe he's just maybe he doesn't have enough jokes and he's just like filling in time (laughs) and he's like here you read some of my jokes and then some people came next door and they were talking about oh my gosh this guy is he blew my mind and then i and then i went and i was like okay i gotta i gotta go see this thing from start to finish and i watched and it was martin urbano was the act and it was just it was exactly what all those people were describing to me and it made me think of like that little judgmental glimpse into something you gotta gotta take it all in sort of and and uh, understand that the yeah there's threads that go through there's points to it there's a reason why he's having someone from the audience you know make fun of he's he's making fun of tropes that are done in stand-up comedy and poking fun at things that stand-up comedy uh, stand-up comedians will even recognize even more than a just a uh, lay audience member or something like that so it's not like pulling a song out of the middle of an album you really want to listen to the whole yeah 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 Yeah. exactly and and so and i i can see how some people are uh it's just like some people don't like hearing the same material when they go but then some people when they go to a concert they want to hear that one song that they you know so right i think there's that sort of aspect to it too as a performer i'm like thinking i'm like oh i want to introduce new material to these people when some of the people are just, they really want to hear this one joke by me because they saw it on my YouTube page or something. And they're like, I want to see him do this live and see how he performs it while I'm there. And they're like elbowing their friend who's never seen you before. Like, oh, listen to this one. This is the one I told you about. 
Yeah, that happened yeah. to me recently. I was in Louisville and I was started in this joke and this girl just started laughing in the front row and I hadn't said I hadn't gotten to the punchline or anything. <laughs> so I I knew I I was like she's she's and I knew the joke was posted online. It's a joke I've done for many years and it's a big switch, like it's a big surprise switch for the audience and she like laughed before the surprise. So I was I, I I knew. <laughs> and I talked to her after the show and she said, yeah, we looked up that clip and it was like our favorite joke of yours. And when you started doing it, we just were like excited and started laughing. Okay. So take me through the evolution of a Gabe Kia joke. So something strikes you as funny or poignant and then creatively, what do you do with that? How do you turn a funny thought you've had into a joke? Funny thought or a bit. into a joke. Or Should I even a call bit. it a joke? I don't even know. A bit. The, a the, bit. The, yeah, but joke bit. Any Anything is, it's all It's all uh, about your perception. It's fine. It's fine. Some some comedians are like, I don't like them being called bits. Some people don't like them being called uh, skits or something. I don't, whatever. <laughs> a, joke, a joke is more than just one line joke. Unless it's just a one liner, then that's like a type of joke. Unless you're a Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, it's not a one line joke. And you do Mitch Hedberg's cadence or something, which is a very popular. When people are starting out doing comedy, they often sound like the people that they that they like, that they idolize, and uh, it's just like when you have friends from a neighborhood say that hang out together, they can sound like each other because they hang out together so much. So that can be true, or it can be because they're listening to that person's albums all the time, or their jokes, or watching their TV specials, and they just—they're taking in them so much that they're going to sound like them. So, so how did you first, develop your style? First of all, to get away from that is I try to be very autobiographical, which is also a big—it's kind of a dilemma too. You're bringing so much of your personal life into your work and your art and the points you're trying to make about something, but you're also trying to be like very original. So, you know, if it's a story that really happened to you that like someone says, Oh, that uh, Dave Chappelle does a joke just like that. And I'm like, well, that's cool. But I also, that really happened to me. So right. I, I, I didn't, <laughs> hey, you both live in Ohio. I did. Yeah, that can happen. I was, <laughs> I was in yellow Springs and now, uh, but it can I, happen. I think, yeah, that, I think there's there, that's the aspect of making it autobiographical. And then the, the negative side to that is that sometimes you're doing something over and over again and you're, you're, you're realizing you're like, oh, there's, there might be some collateral damage for this. Like if I'm talking about my relationship with Abby uh, or I'm talking about my relationship with my daughter or talking about uh, different aspects of things that I don't want to basically say over and over and over and over again because you are kind of, even if it's just a joke and you're like, no, that's the joke part. You're still putting that out there. Basically being aware that words do have, uh, do have meaning, do have significance. And what you say does have consequences of, uh, you know, if, if you're making light of a bad aspect of your relationship, you might make that a bigger, bigger issue if you're doing it over and over again. So I'm very conscious of that. So taking it into the stage is also another, it's kind of a, there's like a test run you kind of do. And I do it with people that I don't really know. It won't be my partner, Abby. It won't be, uh, it, 
won't be someone from my neighborhood that knows me, knows I'm a comedian. I'm not going to be testing jokes out on people like that, but I might be testing jokes out on someone that I don't know that I'm uh, coming across in a, you know, in a social setting or in a work setting. If I'm, you know, if I'm at work and I'm talking to somebody and I might, uh, I might talk to them a little bit and see what the reaction to that is. If I'm at a convenience store and I'm, I suddenly strike up a conversation with the with the person that's at the register. I that's not a very common one, by the way. The, that's not a good that's not a good one. But it is it's everywhere a, you go, you're spreading laughs. Yeah, no, that's so horrible. <laughs> that's horrible to think that like I'm sitting there going to a gas station, like, well, it didn't work at that gas station. Let's try this next gas station. I'm gonna rephrase it. But it is someone that you really don't know. And if you get into uh, a conversation with them, then you can go into, say, this story that uh, that you and then and it might be something that just happened to you. And it, and I'm thinking they're going to laugh at this part. And this is the part that I think will be funny or whatever. And then I judge their their reaction from that and see if that that was funny. So the weird part about writing for me is that I'm always anchored by the laughter in my story or the funny part or the twist or the part that surprises that is that's what i'm writing around and i kind of i kind of identify that i test it out and then you, you when i'm saying you could do this too i the the ideal place to do this is open mics which open mic is a setting in a bar coffee shop restaurant um, usually it's not a very comfortable environment. Sometimes it's at a comedy club, but m- nowadays more or less, there's a lot more, uh, bars that are willing to, to take a chance on open mics to bring people in, to listen to these comedians talk. And, and it can be a real, uh, how, how do you say, uh, proper for, for, for the podcast, a real poop show. If you know what I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of bad jokes, a lot of people trying crossing lines that they shouldn't be trying a lot of punching down when they should be punching up. There's a lot of, uh, saying things that are offensive that can be taken as offensive to someone in the bar. That's not there for even comedy. They're just there to, you know, watch the game. And now all of a sudden this person's yelling about something in the corner so that, so that audience, I don't even think that audience is the best place. And mm-hmm. the other people are, it's also other artists, other comedians, other musicians that are sitting around listening to you, waiting for their chance to do their open mic spot too. So to say that's like a really good place to test out new material is, uh, it's kind of a misnomer and it's kind of what people, people think of as, or they go to as like, how do you take things to the stage? Oh, I go to an open mic and I start out there. It's not always the best way to do it, but uh, you're also not on stage so much where you have time to really mess around. When I'm on stage and I'm getting paid to do comedy, I don't have time to mess around with with jokes that might not work mm-hmm. because I can I can have a line that'll save myself. Like I can say, uh, "Well, that one I'm not, never going to do that one again," right? And then people laugh at me. They didn't. He didn't think that was funny. That's funny. It wasn't funny. No one laughed. He's good <laughs> at identifying when it doesn't work. But then you do that twice. And they're like, ah, you know, this, is this guy funny? Then you do it three times. And they're like, this guy doesn't even think he's funny, you know, or this person doesn't even think they're funny. So so when um, you're working stuff out, you don't, you don't write it down, right? You work it out in your head. I do work it out in my head. And then I do write it down. Um, usually I'll write it down first. That'll be the first instinct. It might just be a keyword. And then I'll go and I'll write that out. 
and say, okay, well, where, where are we going with this? This was the, the idea was, uh, plastic straws and turtles. And I'm, I'm trying to identify something. Why is everybody saying when you have like a paper straw, like, Oh, it's the turtles. And it's because the turtle was the paradigm shift there because there was a viral video in 2000. My dishwasher is done running. By dishwasher. The way. That's not, <laughs> all this. There's a bunch of plastic straws in, in her dishwasher and it's just for the turtles. That's why we're doing it. No, but I was trying to identify that aspect of, of like how, why is it when you go to a restaurant and someone gives you a paper straw that they're like, sorry, the turtles. And then I'm like, no, it's not the turtles at all. It's plastic. It's the plastic that is the problem. There is an island five times the size of Texas in the Pacific Ocean. It's the plastic. It's not the turtle. And then it's it's the turtle that changed all our minds with this viral video in 2015 where they pulled it. So that's why it is. But I'm trying to identify that is that's what I think of as like the rich premise. So one day someone apologizes for giving you a plas- a paper straw. Paper straw. And yeah. that sparks the idea. And sparks then you write that down. Write that down. And then I'm and then I'm and then I'm stewing with it for this joke in particular, which is just a recent new one. I'm stewing with that for like a month on like what am I gonna do about this? turtles and plastic and how am I going to, it's pertinent, it's topical, it's going on right now, people relate to it. And then I, and then I wrote out, I think I wrote, I kept writing down and I wasn't finding anything with it. And then, uh, and then later I I found, I remembered that like turtles also changed the plastic six pack rings when I was a kid. That was like, that was over 15 years ago that turtles did the same thing. A sea turtle got caught in the, so now I have like a second example of turtles uh, and then, and then I'm, and then I, uh, and then I'm hanging out with someone, one of my friends and, and he actually said the line to me that, uh, that was, that was like, how do we get one of these turtles into, uh, into a mass shooting? And we, I laughed, I was like, actually, that's funny. That's what, and that's I what told I've been missing. I told him, I was like, that's what I've been looking for. And then I went and I did that on stage and that worked like right away, but it also didn't work. Like, and then I did it a second time and a third time. I'm trying to polish it, get it down. So the words are less and I'm, and it, it's not even so like the ultimate test. You're sort of doing these mini tests on people, but the ultimate test is doing it once on stage. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you, hopefully you developed some kind of intuition, even without the tests of what people are going to laugh at, hopefully, yeah. or when they're going to laugh. And then you sort of like revise from there. Exactly. Yeah. And then you've got to, you've got to do it over and over again to also add to it and to find out if there's a part that they don't like, or maybe they don't like the whole thing altogether, you know, and then you're, you can reconstruct it and. That one's a... How many different ways do you try something before you just... It's just not working. You let it go. I... um, (laughs) It's funny. My friend starting out, he said, uh, I read in a comedy book that you're supposed to try a joke five times before you trash it. And then he would do the joke five more times on stage in front of him, <laughs> making that the joke that he's so dumb that he thinks like if, if his joke bombs, if his joke that. bombs, I'll just do it again and I'll do it until they like it. <laughs> and he does it in Spanish and then he does it in German. And, he, and then, uh, 
yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty funny take on, and like I said, like, yeah, then it's, someone will say, yeah, do it five times or something. And, but if it doesn't get a laugh the first time, I might not even do it a second time. So you need like Sometimes that it's like, kind oh, of lightning in a, yeah, lightning in a bottle or seeing that, Oh, I do have something with that or yeah. Sometimes you just forget about it. And that's why you write. Yeah. I always, I always write things down to, to keep track as well. And then once you have it, you have a bit or whatever you want to call it. That's definitely working. Then you deliver it. Once it's working, you go with the whole, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You just keep the wording the same all the time. Do you have it memorized like to the cadence to where you're going to pause? I tend to all of that stuff. And I don't think that's necessarily the, the best way, but it is, it's a way that I, I don't know what I, the way I look at it is it's worked for me and that's how it's worked, you know, but it is everything. Even if it's years old, I've been able to fine tune, revise and update jokes or, you know, fix them. So, but usually if, if it's a joke that it, that is universal, that's not just about something that just is topical going on in the news. Like, and I don't think, just because the turtle thing's happening right now, I don't think that's necessarily super, very topical, but it's it's a way to take a topical subject and maybe relate it to like this happened before, you know. Maybe that's what maybe that's why I like it because you don't want something that that's going to be um, I, don't, I don't know of a good way to, but any actually anything in anything with uh, kind of with politics, not talking about politics, but politics goes in that topical where it'll happen and then it's just, it's moved on, you know? Yeah. So you can't use it forever. Can't use it forever. Well, I know I interviewed, um, David Sedaris a few years ago, um, for writer's digest magazine. And I know he doesn't even like, I mean, he's funny, but he doesn't even like having his essays shelved in humor. He's like, it's kind of up to you to just, I don't want to put this label on it and then have people be like, well, that wasn't very funny. Yeah. Um, but he does these live performances where I think how they started out and how people think of them as him reading his published work, reading from his books on stage, basically. So when he comes to Cincinnati's and the Aronoff, it's a ticketed event. It's a big deal. Yeah. But when I interviewed him, he had very recently, I think from doing that and getting so comfortable doing it, he had developed the format of trying out new material on the stage before he submitted it to the New Yorker to be published as an essay. Oh, wow. And then he would take where the audience laughed or where the audience didn't laugh. And he said he would literally like workshop his essays at these live events and edit and then turn them in. And submit. And then, he's, then submit to the New Yorker. I mean, he's got... Yeah. No, that's great. And that's that shows that the, the work's probably much better for it, I bet. Well, and he, he his, was, that's what he was saying. Point? I think he got to this point where he never would have had the comfort to do that earlier. I mean, I think most writers, if you suggested they read a article, they're not sure, they're an essay sure they're not about, sure is yeah. ready to be printed yet in front of a live audience. You'd be like, you'd rather poke your eyes out with a stick than do that. But he, he just gained the confidence to do it. And he was saying, he's not always right about what people are going to think is funny and he would adjust it. And he's got this arrangement with the New Yorker now where 
they have like a right of first refusal basically on, on his stuff. So they don't publish everything, but they publish a lot of it. And I think he was saying that his track record of placing stuff was even better, better once he started workshopping in front of an audience. So it is interesting. I think a lot of times people are, there's some kind of lesson in there for all of us. It doesn't have to be a live audience necessarily, but I think writers can kind of learn from that and maybe figure out what our own little tests are going to be. Like yeah. you have maybe showing work that's not quite ready to some people, some, you know, critique partners or just some readers, there could be a benefit in that. Yeah, no, there is. And there's a, every Tuesday night at go bananas in Montgomery, there is a writer's night. So it's just basically where there's no audience. You can go, you go on stage and you can kind of go through the jokes. And then there's a group of comics. Blake Hammond is the one that kind of runs the, the group, but you can go there any Tuesday night and just walk in and just listen. You can just listen to people going through their comedy. No one's expected to laugh because there's no audience there. So you just, and then there'll be feedback given from, from a comedian that's, you know, it's, uh, he's an excellent comedian. He's, he's professional comedian, but he's not like, he's not the end all know all. So he's not going to all, obviously his opinions, his opinion, it's not going to be, it's just like me. If I was sitting there, I tend to, I can, I can be very opinionated. So I tend to just shy away from those type of situations because I don't, I also don't want, uh, a newer comic to, uh, I don't want to be critical of newer right. comics, you know, and like have them be like, oh, because I, I know when I first started out, there were, I got that feedback from some of the older comics. And I remember holding resentment when there's no resentment, they were just trying to help me. They were trying to be helpful. You know, it's no one's trying to tell you you're not funny, but when you're new and, and you haven't been on stage much and your, your ego's a little more fragile, it's, it's harder to, uh, to take that criticism and to take that feedback. And just like it can be with audiences, it's it's called bombing. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not good, and it's it's very healthy and it's very helpful. And uh, sometimes it has to do with extenuating circumstances, like like what's going on in the audience. A lot of times, you, comedians say there the it's you know it's it's the audience's fault or it's not the audience's fault. There's a big debate about that about whether it it, it definitely the audience does come into play. And when you're talking about like David Sedaris selling tickets and he's got an audience that are there that love him, that know his work or right. familiar with him. That is the audience that I want to do. A, I want to open for that guy basically. And I had that with uh, say Joel McHale or Amy Schumer or Hannibal Burris or some of the bigger well-known acts that I've opened for. It's like going up there and shooting fish in a barrel when they don't know who I am but I've been doing stand up and I know what I'm doing. I have a similar style or sensibility to the person that they're very much a big fan of. And then it's, it just makes it so much easier for me as opposed to the shows where uh, it might be a small town somewhere and it's a bar and I'm the headliner and it's my picture and they're expecting, they're like, this guy better be funny, you know, <laughs> and they're expecting a lot more out of you. But, uh, but that's also part of that's, that's part of part of the process. And, and there's also there's obviously places where where you're more comfortable, like like Go Bananas would be a very comfortable place for me, um, being being my uh, the closest club to me, my home my home club here in Cincinnati. Um, I think another thing from what you guys do that all writers can take to heart is you know 
sometimes when we're writing something that is otherwise straight laced or about a serious subject, like a little levity can be a good thing. There's something, there's a benefit in taking something sad or tragic or enraging and finding something light in it that can make it more relatable, more readable. And people always kind of joke about, you know, when is it okay to joke about something? There's the whole like too soon. Was that too soon? But when actually is it okay? And how do you go about, you know, bringing some humor to something that is a more serious topic? I, I definitely enjoy trying to bring humor to a more serious topic. Um, there's, there's definitely subjects that are, are very tough to, to make people laugh about. There's subjects I had a joke about Alzheimer's, uh, a, a while ago, and I had someone come up to me and tell me that I shouldn't joke about that, that that's not something that should be joked about. And then the manager of the club overheard this and came up and he was like, don't listen to that person. He's just one guy from one show. He's got a personal experience with it. Your joke is not offensive. You're just touching on the subject. It's, it's, it was too sensitive for him, but he's also trying to empower me and say, don't like, don't listen to a few audience members tell you, you can or cannot talk about a subject. If you're being very offensive about a a subject, yes, then it, then maybe that's something you need to reexamine and, but, but it is, uh, it's something that this is, it's one of the reasons that I got into stand up and I like making jokes about things that are serious and having, having that feedback. And I can tell right away, I can tell before I do the joke by what they have been laughing at, whether they're going to be offended. And I say that, like, I can tell, I can't really, I mean, I, <laughs> I think I can and I can feel it and I still do it. Sometimes, sometimes I'll back off. But, but sometimes I'll still do it and I'll push forward and I'll know as I'm doing it, you knew this was going to happen. They didn't like that, that, and that. And you think they're going to like this now? Because <laughs> so you can kind of tell with audiences too. So there is a way to, to relent. And I don't think that that's um, your artistic ability is suffering or your, but by pulling back and making things a little bit more palatable, you're just learning. You're kind of learning the, the weights and the balances of what, what you can say and what you can joke about with general audiences. And uh, it goes through, it goes up and down and you see it in comedy. And just an example of this is just like a really like seeing a lot of people doing comedy on the road. And it used to be small town America. It was like, you'd make a joke about meth and people would be like, ah, yeah, that's right here, meth. And it's like, (laughs) Math, yeah, that's it's like I guess it's like punching down or like making fun of someone that, but it's like an easy, it was an easy way to make fun, and then something meth became not really that big of a thing anymore, and now it's like the opioids and heroin, and that is like no, don't can't, joke, can't about joke about that, and it's like my brother was on opioid or my cousin, it's it hits a lot closer to home where I think this this meth epidemic was like someone else. Oh, that's not me. That's people in Kentucky or whatever. It's always like the next state over that has a problem with it, not your state. But with the opioid addiction, it kind of became more real. And you see people I've seen, I don't, I don't necessarily have any jokes about opioids or heroin, but I've seen people do heroin opioid jokes 
in Ohio in this area, and it's just it just does not like it, it. Yeah, it bombs. It bombs bad. But it's it's they 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 react to that and, be, and they're like, oh, obviously you guys have a problem here or something or yeah. But that's an interesting. But sea turtles. It's, it's serious, but we can still joke about it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's also it's also not like no one no one lost their like my cousin was a sea turtle and we lost her to a six pack ring of natty light in the summer of ninety five and your joke was super offensive to me. But really that oh and that sea turtle joke and then melding it with, with a mass shooting joke, which is when is that too soon, right? When is it too soon to talk about the mass shooting because they're they're happening so often uh, yeah. that it's that that's what I'm trying to talk about. Like this is happening so often that there's people that are like, that have, have survived multiple mass shootings. This is like the new reality we're going to be talking about. So if we never talk about this and we just say, Oh, that's too sensitive or that's a subject that should be on the peripheral. Like, when are we going to, when are we going to actually do something about it and have some, something take place, you know, like, yeah. And I think that's a, that's a thing that people, maybe that's what it is, is that it, there's a thing that people can turn to comedy for comedians having a knack for pointing out the ridiculousness of something, mm-hmm. you know, and with that, it is kind of like, when is the enough is enough point. So there is something to be said there for just the, there's like an angle that you can go with there because comics do that's what you often do you just point it you know maybe something is ridiculous but we all accept it as part of our lives like very foolishly and then you guys point it out and we can laugh about it yeah Um, i actually had someone come up to me after brouhaha downtown cincinnati and he was like came up to me and i did that i think the sea turtle the, the turtle joke was one of the things that i did and he said he was like i just want to tell you that i don't agree with probably anything you agree with, but you really made me think about things today. Yeah. And I was like, that's cool. I'm not trying to change your mind. I wasn't up there trying to change your mind. I'm just trying to talk about it and make you think about it and make us think about it, you know? So, so that's, that's, that's super important too, is like, I think the people think like sometimes when they hear a joke, they're like, Oh, he's trying to change my mind with that joke. And it, he's trying to, or he, I say he often because I'm referring to myself, but it, she, he, anyone, they, the person, the storyteller, the comedian is just trying to get out their point of view in a way that is, uh, entertaining, fun, funny, and palatable that you'll willing to listen to. You know? Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with any kind of theme in fiction. I mean, it's a huge compliment to me if someone says that one of my novels made them think about something Mm -hmm. but my books are not these heavy like like not that i could tell i have domestic violence in that book and i had a really personal reason for wanting to write about it but i didn't tell this heavy like slog of a story i told like an entertaining i hope almost deceptive i almost built this like deceptively deceptively light chatty mystery around this issue and at the end it might be like huh that kind of gave me some stuff to think about yeah which i think you can catch a lot more yeah flies with with that kind of i agree i think what you're gonna with nuance you're gonna do a lot better than with like a big hammer where you're just hammering over someone's and that's why i kind of i'm like that's why i like not having an audience right no (laughs) no that's that's the uh that is the you're but that's what humor can do for any subject yeah yeah and if you don't have an audience you're trying to reach every you're trying to reach anybody you know you're trying to just keep yourself broad and open to 
to, for me, it's like whoever's there that night, you know, but, but I really don't have, I can only do what I can do. You know what I mean? Like I, I did a place, it was uh it was a big, wide open, very stadium like comedy club down South in a, in a city there. And my humor was just not, it was not what they normally book there. I was very different from a lot of people. Too Canadian. Too too northern is what the manager said. He's <laughs> like, you're too northern and you're too storytellerish. You're telling too many stories. We need more jokes and punches fast. And then he was like, make fun of the football team. And I was like, that's not what I want. I didn't get into comedy to make fun of your football team and be like, aren't they stupid? I'm like, my comedy's to like, isn't it dumb how we we divide ourselves over football teams, you know, like a more thoughtful, introspective yeah. look on sports. Northern, and, a Northern look. A Northern look. That's what that <laughs> smells like. Canadian. <laughs> I probably became more Canadian, but I also did not get fired from that comedy club, which I know uh, other comedians that are similar to me or have or similar career paths have actually just been, they're like, we're just going to get someone else that can do this because you're not going to work the rest of the week. We've seen that before. And my second night, so the first night I bombed horribly. Second night, I actually did really well. And I got them early on with some jokes and punched hard and did some of my like shorter, uh, hackier probably stuff is what I'm looking back at. And then the third night I thought I was like, okay, here we go. And I, I went back to bombing again, it was (laughs) not good, but I made it through the week. And then I just, I mean, I just said, well, I'm, you know, that's not a good fit for me. And I know that going forward. What can the rest of us learn from the way that you have to, you know, bounce back from something like that? Because I think um, for especially, well, it's not it's not as big of a deal if someone is like freelance writing or publishing short stories or whatever. But, you know, if you if you publish a book and say it bombs with reviewers. I mean, that is a year. It's not a new bit you were trying out on a Friday. You know, it's like a year of work or more and it can be hard. And people are always saying that writers need to have thick skin as I'm sure you're told all the time. I mean, do you have some kind of mental trick that you can share with the rest of us for shaking that off and like taking the audience feedback to a point, but then just staying true to what you were trying to do. Well, I can tell you what not to do. Don't drive by yourself six hours in the middle of the night. That's the, <laughs> I'm just going to go that's home. The, I'm going to go home. No, just pay $50, <laughs> get a hotel, take a, take a Tylenol PM or something. Just get to bed, <laughs> drink, maybe have two, two glasses of bourbon, go to bed and wake up. Like and a realize, time limit on the pity party. Yeah. Realize that it's not, it's not going to, that's not going to solve anything, but you're also learning every time you, every time you have an experience where you bomb or where you, or where you just don't even do well, or you don't connect with the audience fully. Um, I think it's good to, to reflect on what it was and why, and maybe it is sometimes that, um, there's stubbornness in your performance. Maybe you were pushing too much and you didn't know that you were pushing too much. And, and, but it's a lot different from writing because, because uh, yeah, you're, you know, when you put it out there, in like, book, yeah, it's like, sucks. it's out there. You can't, <laughs> you can't be like, all right, well, I want to take that back. It's, it's kind of like one heckler in the back is not just heckling the people in the room. He's heckling anyone who logs on to Amazon yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. in perpetuity. Yeah. No, that's There's no way to take it down. That is, uh, that's, 
that's the good news. I guess it's like you don't get a lot of, <laughs> but see, that's what, but for now, an album is similar to a book, right? People's out. I've had friends, albums getting trashed by comedy critics. And I'm like, that's my buddy. And he's funny. And what's this guy saying? May I don't know what, but everybody has their own perspective. And, and, you know, sometimes the, the perspective doesn't line up. And, uh, at least the person that did that album or that book wasn't try- just writing something to make this one comedy critic happy, right? Like because right. I, I think a lot of people do that in with 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 stand up or with with writing in general. Is you're trying to please? Oh, if I get this one person, this one person likes my stuff, then then this is going to be a big that'll be a big thing for me. And my high school English teacher who told me I'd never amount to anything. <laughs> Mine is yeah the first. <laughs> The comedy club. I don't manager. really have. I'm just saying. Well, mine right. would be the comedy club manager at the Westport Funny Bone in St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> was just like the first place I went on stage, and you're not funny, Gabe. And he, he, we're friends. He books me still, but I still want to impress him. I'm like, <laughs> my whole career is like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show him I'm a, I'm a, I'm the real deal. You can use that, right? Yeah, and I do use that. I think. He's, yeah, he's taught me a lot. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for making the time to come in. Thank you. Uh, where can the people listening find you? Follow along online and also in person oh, in the next couple of weeks and the months next around couple Cincinnati. Weeks around Cincinnati. I'm doing two shows in December at Go Bananas Comedy Club. Um, I always have my website is gabekia.com. I always have my schedule up to date. Right now, it is fully up to date. You can go on there and uh, check out all my upcoming shows. There's there's links to each one of the shows, so you can go directly from my website to the website of wherever the show is. If I'm going to be in your area, I am in Cincinnati quite often. I do shows here uh, every every uh, every month at least. And so there's not always a lot of notice, right? Because sometimes you're called to like pitch hit. You're kind of the go to guy yeah, at some clubs. That so. does that happens. I got called. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I got asked to do something on Wednesday and then Thursday. And from the start, I, I was already booked on Saturday. So I had no. So that's good. So uh, just look for Gabe. Look for Gabe. He's very tall. And he's very tall. I'm also headlining Go Bananas uh, January 23rd through the 25th, I believe. And I'm recording my first album. So that's. All right. Yeah, that'll be a. Uh, if you're if you're a critic and you want to do something online about me, that'd be the time. Come and see it live, and then you can get the real get the get a head start on the on everybody else online. I'll be there at one of those shows for sure. Looking forward to it. What about Facebook? Great Facebook, Instagram. Game Kia, Instagram. I'm Abe Lincoln T-shirt on Instagram, but you can you're find what? Abe Lincoln T-shirt. I've got a <laughs> got multiple Abe Lincoln T-shirts, and uh, that's my Instagram handle. But you can find me under Gabe Kia there as well twitter gabe kia snapchat gabe kia g-a-b-e-k-e-a all on all the social media formats uh thank you for joining me as my first guest in my home office thank you for having me as your first live guest this is good you should do this yeah right with my dishwasher incessantly beeping in the background the dishes are done done. no seriously they're done are you done filming that podcast yet they're definitely (laughs) done Thanks for coming by. It was fun. And good luck to you. Thanks for having me, Jessica. Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. You can meet Jessica at various events throughout the year. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writer-in-residence. 
Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. And leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you for listening.